Welcome to Trust Issues, a podcast by Kepler Trust Intelligence. Please be aware that there can be a time lag when we release podcasts, meaning time-sensitive information may no longer be accurate at the time of publication. Also note that past performance is not a reliable indicator of future results. The value of investments can fall as well as rise, and you may get back less than you invested when you decide to sell your investments. It's strongly recommended that if you are a private investor, independent financial advice should be taken before making any investment or financial decision. Finally, Kepler Partners LLP has a relationship with the company covered in this podcast, which may impair its objectivity. We hope you enjoy the programme. Hello and welcome back to Trust Issues. This week I'm joined by Brett Dark. Brett is the manager of the Bellevue Healthcare Trust. So to get started, Brett, could you talk a bit about what the trust does, what it invests in, um, for anyone who's not familiar with it? Yeah, sure. Um, So the Bellevue Healthcare Trust, uh, basically, we invest in healthcare equities. And that's not just within, let's say, a narrow subset of healthcare. It's across the whole waterfront of of healthcare. So we invest in healthcare technology, uh, uh, therapeutics. Um, So anything that touches healthcare, we invest in. But we're looking for companies that are at the forefront of making healthcare sustainable on a uh, multi-year basis. I think we're all overly um, familiar with the headlines about healthcare being um, uh, at the breaking point um, and not being sustainable and and the the, um, experience that we get as uh, consumers of healthcare isn't living up to where we'd like it to be. So we want to invest in companies that technology, their product, their service is at the forefront of driving efficiencies within the healthcare system in order to make it more efficient and sustainable for future generations. We only invest in listed um, equities, so no private companies at all. We have a global uh, mandate, so we can obviously invest wherever we see uh, the most interesting opportunities. And we run a very concentrated portfolio. We are limited to a maximum of only 35 holdings. So it's very much a best ideas approach in terms of portfolio construction. Great. Well, that's a, that's a good intro. So, um, I, I, for anyone listening, I would recommend going to uh, going to the BBH website and having a look at at the fact sheets that uh, Brett and his his co manager Paul Major put out. Just because, although you have the performance and all that kind of stuff, you get a little update each month on what's going on with the trusts and also so markets generally and and um, and the healthcare sector specifically. So in the in the most recent one of those, and they're they're often. Uh, written in, let's say, quite a funny way. Uh, one, I don't know if it was you or Paul wrote, uh, we are surely all bored and frustrated beyond words with this endless macro-dri- macro-driven vacillation. Somewhere along the way, company-specific fundamentals were cast aside, and active equity managers have, broadly speaking, struggled to generate outperformance. Uh, so c- can you talk a bit about that? Because I think, um, you know, gauging investor sentiment a, a little bit, if you look at something... Just like in, you know, just inflation alone, um, and leaving aside any other macro problems we're facing today, I think inflation alone might be be enough to justify falls in valuation. So, do you and Paul not think that's the case? Um, I, I I think um, you need to sort of take it um, on a case by case basis almost because. 
as, as you rightly state, if you sort of think uh, we're in a higher inflationary environment, that means higher um, interest rates, that means, you know, lower um, valuations uh, commensurate with that sort of setup. I think for us, um, when we have done all of our financial modelling, we've always been incredibly conservative in terms of discount rates that we have used for our, our modelling. And I think it was in either the April or May fact sheet of last year, we actually reverse engineered what discount rate you would need to apply in order to get to the share price of the companies we were investing in. And at that point, you were looking at, uh, you know, discount rates well into the double digits, which obviously, you know, when we're even talking about peak base rates of being, you know, five or six percent in the US through this cycle, that's, a, that, that's still a, an awful long way to go in terms of equity risk premium to put on top to even justify the share prices. So we think that um, the macro driven environment has has basically um, just thrown the baby out with the bathwater and the market hasn't actually distinguished between you know structural growth assets and we think very much that the companies we invest in because of the demographics that are driving healthcare, the need for reform, the push both from a consumer and from a, a regulatory and, and a governmental viewpoint for uh, systems to reform, um, that actually the demand is there, the pricing power is there, because obviously we're, we're often investing um, in companies that have a, a unique proposition um, and they are leaders in their space, uh, that actually, you know, these companies in many ways don't deserve to be derated. If anything, they probably should be re-rated further. Um, and as I said, we've done um, a, a couple of uh, analysis looking back at what would be the implied discount rate in terms of our discounted, uh, discounted cash flow modelling. Um, and we've also you know, looked back at our models six, nine, 12, 18 months ago and compared our forecasts from then to what the companies are actually delivering now. And indeed, in many cases, they're delivering at or indeed well above our expectations. So we get very um, frustrated that, you know, the market is just making this big generalization that any form of growth asset needs to be derated, drilled, whatever you want to call it. And actually, you know, that presents great opportunity for us great so so you don't think there was uh it was a case of there being this sort of correction after i think you know thinking back to 2021 potentially early 2022 i think because of covid a lot of a lot of uh, healthcare stocks have sort of massive spikes in price um so i'm assuming just based on what you've said then that you don't think uh, this was a kind of warranted correction after maybe a period of a sort of opposite, the opposite of what's happened in the last twelve months, where you had some over exuberant. No, I, I think that that comment is is sort of it's fair in some aspects because without question, you know, there were pockets of healthcare that were driven to, um, as you say, sort of irrational highs. Um, you know, companies that were involved in the design of of COVID vaccines, if you were a manufacturer of said vaccine, or indeed if you were um, able to develop a COVID test, you know, all of the wonderful swabs and everything. If you were in that, if you were exposed to that area of healthcare, then without question, um, you uh, benefited hugely during sort of um, 20, uh, end of 2020 and, and through 21. But again, these were isolated pockets. So I, I think it's, it's sort of unfair to, um, apply that uh, lens or approach um, across all of healthcare. Okay, so so on a on a slightly different 
attack. I know the trust has been trading on a discount now for about about a year, kind of in line with the market, um, which is probably not unusual for for many trusts today. But it was quite was quite unusual for BBH specifically, um, just because you've been at a premium for for basically most of your existence, or definitely for for a good chunk of it since since launching in twenty sixteen. You've also made the case, I think, I think here and and also in your fact sheets that um, basically that it, even though it's a it's a growth, you said this might be a growth portfolio, but it now very much feels like a value portfolio to us. So um, you're taking those two points into consideration, it would seem like a good moment to be adding to your own holdings in the trust. Is that something that you and Paul have been doing? Yeah, um, I mean, without sort of providing a running commentary on <laughs> on, on our on our trading habits, um, we do uh, comment in fact sheets when we feel it appropriate, um, and we don't obviously comment on on all of our um, activity, as I said. But yes, both Paul and myself have been adding um, in a meaningful manner um, during the uh, during last year because, as as we sort of comment, we see this amazing um, return opportunity whereby the market has indiscriminately um, punished or sold off all of these assets. And actually, the, 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 the valuations are so compelling that we see there's a, you know, a very positive outlook and return potential for the portfolio. So um, when we can, um, obviously, there are regulatory periods when we're in closed period, and we're not allowed to try and things like that. But, you know, when we can, and we think it's appropriate, we, we very much um, will add to our holdings. And I hope it gives, you know, investors confidence um, that we're sort of putting our money where our mouth is, as it were. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, in, in a similar vein to that, I think the, in your in your first two answers, you've touched on just how it's a bit frustrating that basically performance seems to still be there, valuations, still, but valuations have come down despite that. So, has that meant that over the past twelve months you've been able to add to the portfolio? And if so, can you talk a bit about what you've done there? Yeah, I mean, obviously, when when um, you know share prices come down. Hopefully that provides opportunities for, um, you know, not only adding to existing names within the portfolio, but also finding new opportunities. And it's very much um, an exercise of managing the overall subsector exposure um, within the portfolio, because obviously, as I said, healthcare is a very heterogeneous um, uh, uh, industry. It's not just obviously one one specific uh, subsector and they each have their very own in, uh, sort of distinct drivers um, so we are obviously always uh, re-evaluating adding to existing holdings but obviously exploring new opportunities now um, the portfolio is obviously a low turnover portfolio in terms of the, the names that that we have obviously we are very active in terms of our risk management throughout the, the portfolio on a daily basis but Obviously, at the start, I sort of mentioned, you know, we're looking for very unique investment opportunities um, where, you know, where the companies are at the forefront of, of lowering this sort of cost inflationary curve within healthcare. So obviously, that narrows the field somewhat of, of new opportunities. And we're, you know, we're very picky in terms of the business model, the management, the valuation and the extent of the diligence we do. So we don't just rush um, sort of glibly in, into new names for new names' sake. We always 
evaluate, okay, even if this is a compelling opportunity, what's it going to bring to the portfolio? What diversification, what exposure that we may not currently have um, is this going to uh, bring? Are we doubling down on a, a certain thing? Obviously, that's you know not what we want to be doing. So, um, obviously, adding a new name, um, there are lots of hurdles to that. But as you said, during 20, uh, you know, 2022, you know, the, the, the first half, um, just for sort of off the top of my head, we added a new name in the dental space. Uh, we added a name in the focus therapeutic space. Um, and we also added a name in the med tech space. And actually, the one in the med tech space was revisiting uh, uh, the same name, which we'd exited a few probably about 12, 18 months previously because the valuation had got very full and we decided to exit that. So, you know, we're always um, on the lookout for new opportunities. And as I said, the heterogeneity of healthcare overall means that the different subsectors have their own rhythm, their own drivers, their own valuations. Um, and so there's always opportunities to be had at, at, at any point in time, hopefully. Great. And an I know another thing that you and Paul have spoken about before is you take cash from winners, if well, basically firms have performed well, and then try and recycle that money into more attractive uh, companies, or more attractive on a risk reward basis. So can you talk about what that process looks like? And I'd be particularly interested if you can talk about companies that don't necessarily have approval for drugs or, or medical or, you know, equipment, whatever it might be, because I think if you, you know, if you watch healthcare stocks, they, they can often sort of fall off a cliff when that approval doesn't, doesn't arrive. So how do you manage the risks around that? Yeah, no, I mean, they're, they're very, um, very interesting and, and fair, fair points. So one thing to note at the moment, um, the portfolio as it currently stands, all the companies we invest in are revenue generating. So, you know, they don't, we tend to avoid um, as much as possible, those sort of, you know, to your point, the binary outcomes where you've got no revenue and need the drug approved. I mean, clearly, you know, when you look at the therapeutic space, many companies have one or two drugs um, and they're looking for either additional indications or there's a pipeline behind it and you can get those those large moves. But we, we, we like to hopefully have at least some, you know, revenue generating ability. It's not always the case, but um, just so at, at the moment, um, what that's uh, that's currently set up. So in terms of how we think about, you know, recycling from winners and, and more attractive risk reward profile. So basically how we um, sort of plot an investment uh, timeline, we tend to want to invest over a three to five year um, investment horizon. And obviously there are various points. Um, they don't have to be binary events like a regulatory approval. It can be the penetration of the technology over time. Um, it can be, you know, the adoption of a new surgical technique, whatever it might be. Um, but we obviously sort of have a, a glide path in our mind of where the ultimate value is um, over this time horizon. And each day we are constantly reevaluating where are we in that journey versus the news flow and, you know, to the extent we have those binary hurdles or hurdles to overcome. Um, and we will obviously, if we are above that as it were, glide path, we will be more inclined to actually trim back exposure if we feel that that risk, you know, the, the share price has got ahead of itself. And then obviously within the overall portfolio, there will be opportunities where there will be companies where they may not, the share price may not have reacted positively to, um, let's say, financial reporting or catalysts that we thought they should have. Um, and we will add um, 
sort of back into those names. So it's this constant sort of churning um, within the portfolio of um, things that might have got a bit ahead of themselves and, and recycling those into names which, um, you know, uh, are un- sort of underappreciated the progress that the company has been making. Okay. And and maybe to follow up on that, I think for most people, and this is true not just of, of healthcare, but almost every sector, uh, perceive, let's say, smaller startup type companies that maybe are, are need to still grow in order to hit profitability as being um, most at risk at the moment because of you know, economic downturn, high interest rates, um, and all those sorts of things. So can you talk a bit about if, if you have any of those sorts of companies uh, in the portfolio, or perhaps for the for the sector in general, do you see those businesses struggling to survive? I mean, w- what's the sort of outlook there? Yeah, so I I think you know many of the companies that we invest in that aren't profitable um, and and will need finance. Um, we think there are plenty of avenues open to them. So that can either be through equity financing, it can be through debt financing or, um, you know, some form of hybrid instrument. And I think ultimately it comes back at the end of the day to the the, um, the product that the company is, is providing to the market that they're addressing. If you have a good product with either good clinical data, good uh, evidence that you're going to save the system money, um, certainly in the instances of the companies that we're looking at within the healthcare space, then you will find capital. Um, it's, you know, it's just one of those um, inevitable things. Um, if, if ultimately you don't have a suitable product and you don't have good clinical data, then those companies are, are definitely going to struggle. And I think that's why you're seeing, for example, let's say on the, you know, the NASDAQ biotech index, there's lots of commentary around the number of companies trading uh, below net cash, um, I think the reason for that is, you know, a lot of these companies probably uh, shouldn't have raised the amount of capital that they did, um, and they're going to be struggling going forward. Uh, some of our companies, when you speak to the management teams, they are a little bit more focused on the path to profitability. So if they originally had uh, planned that to be a four-year horizon, some will now say, okay, we're going to accelerate, you know, we're going to take the pedal off of the growth um, you know, investment side of it um, to reach profitability that little bit sooner. Um, but they can all definitely uh, reach profitability. Okay. Well, to, to finish off, and I think I have a feeling of, of what you're going to say here, but could you could you provide, uh, yeah, do, has the past 12 months, uh, volatile as it has, has been, uh, sort of changed your, your outlook for the sector at all? Um, and... Are there any particular areas of, of the healthcare sector that you, you think you know, investors should be aware of or you, or you think are particularly interesting? Um, I, I think the, uh, I think over the past 12 months and almost on a daily basis, um, my long-term outlook for the sector um, only gets stronger and stronger. Um, and that's because, you know, I, I don't need to tell anyone who's probably listening to this who, you know, you look at any uh, newspaper article, you hear it on the news, you hear it on the radio, the pressures on, you know, the NHS in the UK, the same is, uh, the, the same pressures are not unique to us. They're prevalent throughout Western Europe, they're prevalent throughout North America. Um, any sort of Western um, healthcare system is facing these, the same pressures that we are. So all of these systems are going to have to reform um, and the pressure and the speed with which they need to reform to make them sustainable 
on a multi-decade basis going forward um, has never been greater. And obviously, you know, clinicians who wanted to become doctors, they wanted to um, obviously help people. Um, so they are keen to dr be driving efficiencies and reducing admin burden and actually treating patients and making a difference. Us as taxpayers and voters and the electorate we want an efficient healthcare system we don't want to be seeing our loved ones um you know left on trolleys and, and, and other awful um situations um so there's a huge um ambition and drive to to get the sector um uh, you know, fit for purpose, for lack of a better word. Um, so, as I said, you know, the companies we invest in, they are at the forefront um, of, of delivering that change in the, in, the, in, the, in the delivery of healthcare. So, no, I think um, I've never been sort of more positive on the outlook. Great. Well, it's good, good to hear someone being optimistic. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> thanks. Uh, thanks very much. For, for joining us and hopefully we can chat again at some point in the future. Uh, for anyone that is interested in the trust, I, like I said, I do recommend reading reading the fact sheets of even for even for the entertainment value there. They're very good. Uh, or if you'd like a bit more in, in an in-depth analysis, then, then head over to the uh, Kepler Trust Intelligence website where we, we should have a fairly recent note on the trust out at the moment. So thanks again, Brett. And um, yeah, hopefully we can we can chat again soon.